Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, please would you turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and I will be preaching from verses 36 through 50 this morning. Um, In my preparation this week, I was thinking about the subtitle for our standalone sermon slide, and I think it's a little bit presumptuous, right? Single sermons worth hearing. Um, I don't know, maybe from the outset, you know, kind of has, you know, kind of hyped up this particular sermon, but uh, anything preached faithfully from God's word is worth hearing, right? Um, But uh, yeah, I'm not too sure about it because maybe it implies that, you know, that this particular sermon, out of all the other possible sermons that I could possibly preach, you know, this is the one that's worth hearing. Um, I don't know if that's the case, uh, but I think that this is the sermon that God has ordained uh, through our human choices um, for what the people of Gosnells Baptist Church uh, need to hear this morning. And so I think we can come expectant um, to God's word that he will indeed speak to us um, through it and by his spirit um, once again this morning. So uh, let us read our passage for today and then we'll pray and ask that God would do just that. Luke 7, starting from verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's household and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, would you please help us now as we come to your word? Would you please open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to say to us this morning? And would you cause us to respond in faith? Please strengthen me now, Lord, 
that I would be faithful and helpful for your people, bringing glory to you and not to me. We ask this for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, our passage this morning, it doesn't really need any illustration, does it? It's profoundly vivid and rich. And as you're reading along with it, you can probably imagine yourself kind of being there in the room with Jesus, with Simon the Pharisee, probably some of Jesus' disciples and some other Pharisees laying around this table. In those days for formal meals, you would recline at the table and lay with your head down near the table and your feet behind you. And behind Jesus, as he's laying down at this table, you can probably picture this sinful woman with her long dark hair, with her face with tears streaming down. And she is kneeling at Jesus' feet, weeping. So much so that she is able to use her tears to wash Jesus' filthy feet and then uses her hair to dry them. And then she breaks open an alabaster jar with perfume and anoints his feet. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? Luke's account of this encounter is fascinating because Matthew, Mark and John actually place a similar scene of a woman washing and anointing Jesus' feet, uh, not here early in Jesus' ministry, but in the final week of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark and John, they include no mention of this brief parable that we've read, but instead they make all the significance of it being the preparation for Jesus' burial. So I think we can rightly understand that Matthew, Mark, and John all record their anointings to have happened in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, and it was a dinner that was held in Jesus' honour, which is understandable, right, because Jesus, he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. There's no mention of a sinful woman, and there's no mention of a Pharisee that's scoffing at Jesus for letting the sinful woman touch him. But instead there, in in those accounts, we have Judas Iscariot, who's complaining that it's a waste of perfume. But in Luke's account, we don't find any of those details. Instead, the dinner is at a Pharisee's house, certainly not in Jesus' honour, and there's no mention of Lazarus or Martha or Mary. And so I think it's right for us to assume that there are at least two separate occasions that Jesus was anointed with perfume. And so I think the big question for us to consider, right, is why is it that Luke is showing us, what is it that Luke is showing us by using this story, this parable, at this point in his gospel. Well, the passage prior to ours, it helps us to make it clear for us. John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to Jesus to ask him if he really is the Messiah. Is he the Messiah that's to come, or are they to wait for someone else? Which is a stunning question, right, given that John was just told that Jesus was doing a great many signs and wonders, even raising a widow's son from the dead. But Jesus reports back to John, saying that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. Jesus shows that he is indeed the Christ because the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the dead are raised, the deaf hear, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. In verse 29 of 
this chapter, we read that all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, they acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptised by John. But in contrast to those who have received John's baptism, the Pharisees, they are actually rejecting God's purpose for themselves because they hadn't been baptised by John. And so Jesus, he goes on to make a point that the people of this generation, which is probably talking about the Pharisees among others, could not have accepted neither Jesus nor John because not of how nice their message was to hear or how it was presented, but because of their hearts. This is the connection between the context and our passage with the sinful woman and the Pharisee. For our passage, and if you were keep on, uh, to keep on reading in chapter 8, which is actually what um, uh, Ben Smart, he preached on for us just a few weeks ago, will show us why some receive Jesus and why some reject him. And what we see is that it's deeply a matter of the heart. What we're going to see is that while those have been forgiven little, love little, it's only those who know their great need for Jesus deeply at a heart level who respond to him in faith and love. So have a look with me again at verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's household and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who is touching him for she is a sinner. Now, I wonder to what extent we're able to appreciate just how shocking this scene is. This woman, who is a known sinner to all of those around her, dares to come up to Jesus, let alone to touch him, but also weeps at his feet and dries them with her hair. It really is. It's no wonder that the Pharisee said to himself, Jesus, do you have any idea who's touching you? She's a sinner. It shouldn't take a prophet to know her reputation. Do you know what she's done? The amount of men that she's slept with, the things that she has said. Who knows the last time that she's sacrificed something at the temple? If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. That she is a sinner. And prophets don't let sinners touch them. Holy people don't touch unholy things. Now, while this scene is certainly beautiful on the one hand, it also ought to downright shock us that such a thing would actually happen. I mean, in some respects, the Pharisee, he's not wrong, is he? God set two cherubim at the entrance to the garden to bar unholy humanity from the holy presence of God. God set Moses in the cleft of a rock to hide unholy Moses from his holy face. God had Solomon hang the curtain in the temple to separate unholy Israel from his holy being. 
God, he dwells in unapproachable light and no man can see his face and live. See, sinful people, we cannot dwell with a holy God. But can you see how the Pharisee, he's actually got it the wrong way around in this instant? While he thought that holy people were not to touch unholy things, it's actually that we as unholy people cannot and should not touch holy things. This is the true scandal of this scene. How on earth can this sinful woman be touching God in the flesh? But the Pharisee didn't recognize this. He was not indignant that a sinner dared approach the sinless God, but instead he was so full of pride that he could not see his own desperate need. And so Jesus, in one of the shortest parables in the Bible, he flips the Pharisee's thoughts back on himself, showing him this deep flaw in his thinking. Have a look with me again at verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled both of the debts. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Um, there's some really tra- tricky parables in the Bible, isn't there? You've got the parable of the shrewd manager who was commended for dishonestly cutting debts. You've got the rich man and Lazarus, um, which can be really confusing. Even the persistent widow, he seems to imply that we should nag and nag and nag God until we get what we want. But this parable is so simple, isn't it? And yet it's so brilliant. In just four short sentences, Jesus, he completely exposes the heart of the Pharisee. And he also exposes the heart of you and me. Which of them will love him more? Well, Jesus, of course it's the one with more debt. I'm sure we've all had the friend who, you know, we've borrowed five bucks off um, for a cup of coffee, only for them to turn around and say, hey, you know, don't worry about it. It's nice, right? You're appreciative. You try to put up a little fight. You're like, no, 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 let me pay for it. I'll pay you back. Um, But really, you're like, you're totally fine with them paying for it. And you just go, you know, I'll get the next one. But how radically different would it be if you get a phone call from your friend and they say, hey, you know about the rest of that half a mil that you've got owing on your bank loan? Yeah, don't worry about it. How differently would you respond to that person? I'd be willing to bet that you would instantly do anything for that person. Jesus' parable and his follow-up question leaves the Pharisee no choice but to agree with the obvious answer. But at this point, I'm not sure that Jesus, he's fully made his point yet. In many parables, the sting is in the tail of it, comes at the end. It's usually the final jab that that's where the point is made. But it's not so with this parable. Most of the time, Jesus, he doesn't explain his parables, but this time he does. He makes it really clear for the Pharisee. This situation which Jesus has found himself in, in this dinner party, is the context in which this parable is given, 
And it's so important for us to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying. So let's look closely here from verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Can you imagine if you're hosting a dinner party and one of your guests said this to you? He's not holding back any punches here, is he? This contrast is so stark. The Pharisee clearly should have offered him the most basic of things which a polite host ought to have done in that day. It was the simplest way to show how to respect your guest and to make them feel welcome. So you can see this humility from Jesus, right? He doesn't make a big song and dance about it. But the judgmental thoughts of the Pharisee when the woman anointed him prompted Jesus to make this strong and bold point. And it's not the point that you and I would have made, right? We might have expected Jesus to vindicate himself. Simon, I deserve these things, right? I'm the son of God. And yet you didn't do them for me, but this woman did instead. Or, you know, maybe we'd expect Jesus to offer some moral advice. You know, hey, everyone, you should be more like this woman. This is what a host ought to look like. No, the point that Jesus makes is whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, Simon thinks that he is so much better than this sinful woman. He is a Pharisee after all. He knows his Bible inside and out. He keeps all 600-odd commandments from the traditions of his fathers. In his mind, he doesn't even compare in sinfulness to this woman. So is Jesus saying that Simon doesn't have many sins and that's, so, that's why he doesn't need Jesus or love him? Of course not. Jesus is not even saying that the Pharisee only has 50 denarii's worth of sin compared to the woman's 500. Rather, what Jesus is saying is that Simon does not truly see his need for forgiveness. Simon is so blinded by his pride that he cannot see the desperate need that he has for his sins to be forgiven. So this begs the question, doesn't it? Do we see our desperate need that we have for our sins to be forgiven? Do we see that we have so rebelled against our Creator God that we stand as enemies before him? Do we see that all of our good works, all of our trying to look good and trying to have it together and to present a religiosity that we think will impress God and impress others, that all of that actually gets in the way of us seeing our desperate need to have our sins forgiven? We have all amassed a great sin before God, far greater than 500 denarii or 50 denarii, but actually 
an eternity's worth of debt. Because to sin before an infinitely holy God creates an infinite debt to be paid. And because God is infinitely just and righteous, he cannot and will not simply turn a blind eye to it. I mean, we all want justice, don't we? When we are sinned against, particularly in deep ways that wound us, we so long for things to be made right. When we see horrors and atrocities all over the world, we long for those things to be made right. And so can you see how God, who has been sinned against by the creatures that he has made, has a holy and righteous desire to make things right? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to pay the debt for all those who trust in him. We can receive forgiveness because he has been punished on our behalf. He suffered the just judgment of God so that he can forgive us and treat us like we're sinless. And so do you see what it took for God to forgive us? The giving of his one and only son. God in flesh, he came to become a curse for you and for me so that we might be forgiven and become the children of God. Some in this might emphasize what we are worth to God, so much so that the Son of God was crucified for us. And that's, that is, that's, there's some truth to that, right? But do you know what is just as true? That we have been so sinful, so wretched, so rebellious so in need of a saviour that the Son of God needed to be crucified for us. It took an infinite being to pay for our infinite debt. And so if you are here and you trust in Jesus this morning, you certainly have not been forgiven little. You've been forgiven of everything. There's some beautiful promises of this in the Old Testament uh, that speak of this work that Jesus has done. You, you might be familiar with them. Isaiah 1.18 says that our sins, which are like scarlet, will be white as snow. In Micah 7, it says, God will cast our sins into the depth of the sea. Though our sins were many, his mercy is more. He has completely removed our sins as far as east is from the west. Completely gone. Completely forgiven. Simon the Pharisee, he didn't know of his great need of forgiveness. But the sinful woman, she did, didn't she? While Jesus says that whoever has been forgiven little loves little, he is at the same time saying that whoever has been forgiven much loves much. Jesus says her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. See, this woman, she didn't simply give mental assent to this truth that she'd been forgiven, 
but in knowing the great degree to which she had been forgiven, led her to one of the most precious and beautiful acts of worship that we see in all of Scripture. She demonstrated her great love that she has for Jesus in response to being forgiven. She didn't come in an effort to receive forgiveness. No, Jesus said that her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Do you see that? That the woman, she responded in great love to the great forgiveness that she had received. And this is why we preach the gospel every Sunday. This is why that we must always constantly turn our eyes to the gospel at every chance that we get, because we must be constantly reminded of how much we've been forgiven. For while those who are keenly aware of their many sins and receive this stunning and amazing forgiveness of Jesus, as we are filled with joy... On the other hand, those who think they are good in and of themselves see little or no need for forgiveness. And so let us have the great love and forgiveness of God in sending Jesus to pay for our sin, be what drives us to live, to respond in love and righteousness. Don't try and work any longer for your forgiveness because there's nothing that you can do to earn it. We must just simply come to Jesus and to receive it each and every day as we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And while he's not here for us now to weep at his feet and to pour perfume on them and to kiss them, how we still ought to live in obedience and in love for him until his return how we ought to have the same love for our Lord Jesus Christ in response to this amazing gift which he has shown to us. But if you think you've been forgiven little, then you're only going to love a little. And so if your love for Jesus is waning today, receive the gospel afresh this morning. And plead with him, not just to show you your great sin, but also for him to show you his great forgiveness. And only in light of that, only as you see your sin and his forgiveness, that you can respond and plead with him to help you love him more. Did you know that you can do that? That you can actually ask Jesus to help you love him more. This has definitely been a regular prayer of mine over the years. So much like the centurion who cried out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. We love Jesus, but so imperfectly. And yet we want to love him more, don't we? Each and every morning, each and every hour, coming to Jesus and asking for his continued grace in loving him and living for him. For the degree to which we know we have been forgiven is the degree to which we will love, live in love for Christ. So let us come now to our Lord and ask for that very thing. Let's pray.
our gracious and kind and loving Lord. We thank you and praise you for your great grace in forgiving us all of our sin. Would you please help us to continually see the great degree to which you have forgiven us? And would you please help us to live in love for you more and more as we grow in the knowledge of all that you have done for us? Please help us now not to go on with our day forgetting what we have heard from your word, but that it would so resonate in and feed our minds and hearts and so continue to change us by the Spirit through your word. May we live in love for you, our King Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.